You're listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book. Hello, this is a social justice podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Sperling, and today I'm joined by James Bobick of the Wondrous Tree Fellowship. James, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes, I can. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, my name is James Bobick, and I am one of the co-founding members of the Wondrous Tree Fellowship. Uh, we're a small group of, uh, of dedicated folks in the Tri-Cities area who advocate and try and protect trees, uh, or protect our urban forests. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, thanks. It's nice to be here. You came a little bit of a ways, too. I've been interviewing some organizations that are based locally here in Vancouver. You're a little bit further out. Wondrous Tree Fellowship focuses more on the Tri-Cities area, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I used to work for the city of Port Coquitlam, so uh, my base was out in the Tri-Cities there. And uh, I'm, I'm a trades horticulturalist, so, uh, so I took an interest in trees naturally. Uh, and uh, we just sort of um, got together with some, uh, some other folks, uh, Nancy Furness and Laura DuPont and uh, um, uh, some, some other environmentally aware people to, uh, to form this group. To start with, can you explain what the Wondrous Tree Fellowship is? Yeah, like I was saying in the introduction, basically we're uh, a grassroots organization. People who um, were really concerned about what was happening in the Tri-Cities area regarding uh, the removal of, of a lot of mature trees. And I think we all understand and we all know how important trees are in our community and there's, there's so many services that they provide us with. And uh, we were really concerned about just the number of trees we saw coming down. I mean, uh, the development that was going on. And so really, we, we kind of said, uh, you know, uh, what the you know, WTF. <laughs> and so, uh, which, which then turned into the Wonders Tree Fellowship. And so we've had a little bit of fun with the name for sure, but the work that we do is very serious and, uh, and we believe is very necessary. Right. And you were telling me a little bit about this before we got on air, but for our audience, can you explain how the Wonders Tree Fellowship came together? Like what was your origin story? Like I was saying, I, do, I did work for the, for the Parks Department of Porco Quitlam. And uh, I recall doing a tree walk one day in which I would often do uh, community tree walks, try and educate the public on uh, how amazing and diverse the trees are in our urban environment. And, uh, you know, that's when I connected with Nancy Furness, who's our fearless leader of the group. Uh, and then we just, uh, through, through connections, we just uh, started uh, meeting each other through environmental uh, get-togethers and gatherings uh, for the most part. And we understood that we had a common goal there. And uh, we sort of connected that way. We thought, well, if we can start a small organization, then maybe we can make a difference. We're going to be talking about urban forests quite a bit during this conversation. Can you explain what an urban forest is? Right, right. It's, it's important to understand what that is. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about an urban forest, we're really talking about all the trees uh, that we're going to find within the city limits. So that would include parkland trees. So if you go to a community park, all the trees that you're going to find there, uh, including the understory and the, the shrubs and the, the brush that's around there too. Uh, also the street trees are included in that. Uh, residential trees and gardens are, are part of the urban forest. Uh, and also natural areas as well, you know, remnants or or uh, bits of, of, um, of native forest that are still in, in many of our cities that we still have. And that would also be included as part of the urban forest. In my mind, when I heard urban forest for the first time, I was thinking, okay, you've got a section of land within a city that might be preserved from before the city was built. It might be a, uh, what we would normally think of as a forest, you know, this area that's full of trees. We're also talking, like you said, about the street trees, about the shrubbery, about individual lawns. So it's almost like 
the whole city is a forest. It just happens to have some houses in certain locations. Is that is that kind of right? Yeah, that's right. That's kind of how we look at it. Um, because, you know, even street trees and park trees, you know, they still provide those same services that we get from forests. And they also provide an environment uh, for, for wildlife, uh, for migrating birds uh, as food sources. Uh, also, they act as pollinators for bees. So there's all these great services. So we like to include all the trees that we find within a urban surroundings. And that answers a question that I uh, had for you, which was why urban forests are important in the services that they provide. So to, I guess, expand on that, how can urban forests lead to healthier and more resilient communities? Yeah, that's, uh, well, they provide so many services and, and it's going to be a bit of a long list, but we, I'd like to love to go through them with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so firstly, um, we can look at the, the mental health benefits of, of urban forests. So, you know, and we really, it was really highlighted with the whole COVID epidemic that we just went through in 2020. And we saw that, you know, stress levels were really high, anxiety was high amongst uh, people. And one of the ways that we were able to alleviate that a little bit was to actually get out into nature, uh, get out into forests um, and to parks and to trees. Um, even if you were, you know, isolated and living by yourself, you know, you could still go out to a park and, and maybe meet up with, with friends and have a quick chat. And so we know that as soon as we get into the environment of a, of a forest, you know, our, our cortisol levels lower, um, our, um, our um, uh, blood pressure lowers, our anxiety starts to fade away. So that's some of the mental benefits that we have from trees for sure. So mental wellness, um, there's less uh, ADHD um, uh, with kids, they find, that are playing in, in wooded areas and around trees. So, so very good for your mental health for sure. I guess I should play in some trees more. We all we all should. I, I watched a video about salt lamps, of all things, to take oh, a little yeah. bit of a tangent. Right. And they were talking about how they produce negative ions. And oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, it's supposed to affect your mental health. And it was sort of a debunking video. Uh, yeah. Salt lamps don't actually produce enough negative ions to impact you. Right. But forests do. Right. And right. so the recommendation was don't buy a salt lamp, get out in a forest. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be a lot better for your yeah. mental health. And so right. I think it's really interesting that you talk about uh, helping with ADHD in kids. I have yep. ADHD. We've talked about this on other podcasts. We've right. done a mental health podcast. And um, I definitely notice that when I'm out in forests, I feel more at peace. I feel more connected to the world around me. I can think more clearly. It's um, it's just beneficial in so many ways. Right. I uh, appreciate for, you mentioning that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, and that falls right into the whole forest bathing idea. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of getting out into the forest and, and absorbing it, it with all your senses, you know, your, your sight, your hearing, you know, your smell, um, and, and really letting the forest, you know, sort of, sort of provide those benefits to you. Now, there's a conversation around densification of mm -hmm. cities, right? We, we have a growing population. We have to find housing for more and more people. And there's obviously skyscrapers being built up. But there's also just a lot more development in general in cities, and a lot of it can impact our trees. So can you talk about what the densification of communities does to urban forests, the impact that it has on them? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big issue for sure. You know, typically what happens is, you know, we look at um, neighborhoods that might be 50 to 60 years old. And, you know, these are the typical suburban, you know, single house, single house on a, on a large lot, a large yard. But of course, you know, when those people first moved in to those houses, um, you know, a long time ago, one of the first things they did was plant trees, of course, right? Plant trees in your in your yard, right? So now those trees, um, 60 years on, are, are now actually providing um, these amazing services that we all need, of course. At the same time, we have this huge need for housing. So quite often municipalities look at these older neighborhoods and find them, you know, as prime areas to develop, 
and to start building houses on. But sadly, you know, these 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 big trees that are on the lots there that that are 60, um, 60 years old and plus in some cases are at the height of their of their um, services that they provide. Basically, they're at the apex of their life, and so cutting them down for development purposes at that point is is really um, is really quite sad when you think about it. And we're losing a lot by by doing that. Right, and you talk about wanting to. Speak more about the services that trees provide. Right. What else did you want to bring up right, on that? Right, right. Well, one of the huge things that, of course, that they do, as we all know, they sequester carbon carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take that out of the atmosphere and, you know, through the process of uh, photosynthesis and they produce energy. And, of course, they, they take in carbon dioxide and give us oxygen. So that's one of the major things they do. And knowing that we have the climate change issues that we have, you know, we can really, we can't afford to lose any more trees um, if we can help that. Uh, the other big thing they do, of course, is, you know, we only have to go back to uh, 2021 in June where we had that massive heat dome over the lower mainland. Right. Um, you know, BC lost, I believe, 600 people, I think, to, to heat-related uh, illnesses and stress. Uh, so what trees do, of course, is they, is they mitigate that heat island effect. And the heat island effect, of course, is when the sun's rays, you know, heat up uh, artificial surfaces like buildings, uh, asphalt roads, cars, Anything that's basically human-made or synthetic uh, that retains the heat, and of course it retains that heat, holds the heat, and then radiates that out in in the nighttime, so it keeps those temperatures really high. So of course trees, just by their nature, they provide a lot of shade, so they block out those rays from from hitting those surfaces. But they also do another thing, which is really amazing, and that is they have a their own cooling system, and just like we might sweat on a really hot day, trees will have have uh, what they call evapotranspiration. By, uh, transpiration and that means they take water from the roots uh, all the way up through their trunks through their branching system and they release that water through the leaves in a in a sort of a vapor and that that fine mist that fine water vapor actually cools the ambient temperature uh, almost immediately and so what you'll find is that uh, uh, in areas where you've got large shade trees the temperatures in the middle of the summer can be six seven degrees celsius lower than they are in areas without trees wow I mean, that's fa- fascinating to learn. I, I know that there's been an issue w- with cities putting down tons of concrete and it heats up and it causes issues with flooding because there's not proper drainage. And so right. I, I knew about it from that side yeah, of things. Yeah. But hearing about how much yeah. trees cool things down is, is yeah. something that I, I didn't know much about. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's yet another service that trees provide and that's stormwater mitigation. Mm-hmm. Um, trees will actually slow down the amount of rainfall with their leaves so that's one thing that they do. They'll, they'll slow down the, the amount of rain that hits the, hits the ground, uh, hold a lot of that rain in the canopy, and it eventually slowly releases that to the ground. And of course, the root systems uh, suck up a lot of water. So that's another way that, uh, that they mitigate um, um, stormwater uh, damage. Right. When it comes to the, that first point around capturing carbon and releasing oxygen and being beneficial in that way, what are your thoughts on carbon capture projects, these sort of human-built uh, facilities, I guess you might call them, that capture carbon? Well, you know, I have to admit that's not my specialty, so I don't know as much about that. I've heard that they're making some great gains in, in being able to carbon capture, but, but you know, trees have been doing this for millions of years. Uh, they're the ultimate carbon catchers, and uh, really, I think it's much easier for us to, uh, and much uh, quicker, to just plant more trees in our communities. Absolutely. I mean, if nature has the solution, we don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, I guess. Right. We often try and uh, 
um, one up mother nature. And, and in most cases, it just, it doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. We had that conversation actually, I think it was our second ever episode. We were talking about engineered climate solutions as opposed to natural climate solutions. Right. And, the, and there's some healthy debate to have there, I suppose, right. but um, right. it definitely seems, in my opinion, to be better when you can find those natural solutions. Yeah, especially when they're right there and we don't have to look too far to find them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, another great thing that they do as well that, uh, that I'd like to mention is, of course, um, pollution, you know, um, and trees are, are, are incredible at reducing the amount of pollution we have. Um, strategically planted trees along roadsides can help deflect the, the harmful gases that come from cars. Uh, and as well, um, they have the ability to hold on to, to uh, particulate matter as well. So, um, yeah, on, with trees, they have these tiny little hairs called uh, trichomes. And trichomes will actually um, capture the uh, particulate matter in the air and hold that um, and, and, you know, prevent that for, prevent us from breathing that in. And then when it rains, of course, it'll release those and it'll wash down to the ground where it's, where it's not harmful. So uh, this is why they're so good for our cardiovascular system. Um, they're good for, uh, for to, to fight against allergies, of course. Um, and uh, that's, yeah, that. Yeah. So capturing pollution is, is another great thing that they do for us. Right. And we've talked about how urban forests sometimes get destroyed through the development process, right. the destruction of new buildings. And at the same time, we need those buildings, especially to try to mitigate, I suppose, the affordability crisis, right? right? It's a huge crisis at the moment. People can't afford places to live. How does the protection of urban forests mesh with the need to create affordable housing? Yeah, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge for sure, because, you know, most developers will look at a piece of land and, uh, you know, because of the the, uh, the economy or the, you know, the affordability of building on it, you know, they're not interested in retaining trees that might be in the middle of a property. So, so we understand that some trees will have to be removed. That's that's a, that's sort of a given. And I think uh, even most of us environmentalists understand that you know we're not going to be able to save every single tree, and that uh, some trees you know do have to be you know, you know sacrificed to to uh, you know to create more affordable housing and, and densification. But uh, what we'd like to see though is if that's going to be the case, then let let's let's get creative with our design. You know, perhaps we can incorporate some large trees into the design, uh, you know, um, which again, benefits the public. It benefits, uh, you know, provides more shade for the building, which is going to lessen the cost of your electricity. It's going to lessen your costs of air conditioning in the summertime, or if you have a place on, on the south side of a, or west side of a building, for example. Um, the other thing that municipalities can do is that, okay, if we're going to build a, a condo development, then let's give ourselves a great big space on the boulevard. Like, let's extend that. Maybe we need a five meter wide boulevard with a good soil depth of, of one and a half to even two meters deep. And that way you can, you can actually grow some very large shade trees as boulevard street trees. And I think those are going to play a much bigger role as we move forward uh, in, in, um, in being able to create housing, but also retain a healthy urban forest. Right. So you're maybe removing a tree from one location, but you're putting a tree in another and right. kind of have a net neutral, I guess, potentially, or, or hopefully positive, well, putting even more trees in. Yeah, th th that's the idea. Of course, we, we do have to understand, though, that every time we do take a mature tree out, and let's say uh, a lot of cities have a policy where they'll replace it with two trees and say, okay, we're, we're replacing it two to one. But you have to remember that those little trees that are going in of course, are going to take 40 to 50 years to mature to the point where they're really providing the maximum services that we need. So at the same time as we, we need to plant new trees, we still want to retain as many of the older trees as we can. So, and I think that's where creative design comes into it. Um, that's where, where councils need to sort of look at developers and say, okay, 
how can we incorporate more of these mature trees into the into the project? I would imagine that probably needs to be incorporated into urban planning as well, because you know, you're planting all these trees now, but who's to say in 40, 50 years when they've reached their maturity and they're finally doing the job that they need to do, a city council isn't saying, okay, well now let's tear them out and put a different that's, development in its that, place. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So so we need to start looking at trees as green infrastructure. You know, just as we have green infrastructure, we have our roads, we have our, our water pipes, uh, you know, we've got all these other um, uh, infrastructure facilities that we that uh, we need to take care of and maintain. Well, we need to look at trees in that same way, but as green infrastructure. And interestingly enough, it's the only inter- infrastructure that we have in cities that actually um, appreciates in value. So as roads deteriorate, they cost us money. Um, everything costs us money except really trees actually grow in, in their value as they get larger. So when you look at a tree, and if it's an oak tree or a beech tree or one of the large trees that um, they can live for a very long time, um, the average building, and you might know more than this about this than I do, but you know the average building today is often built to last maybe 50, 60 years. Yeah, they say 100. Okay, um, okay. But it's not yeah. usually a reality that they're kept right. for 100 years. Right, right. And that, that's, that's, that's what I found as well. So when you're looking at a tree that can live well over 100 years, uh, if of course it's healthy and it's a, it's the right species of tree, then we still have to start questioning, you know, what is more valuable in our community here? I mean, do we want to maintain or retain those big trees and work around them or work with them? Or do we want to remove them? We've talked about sort of policy creation, uh, urban planning, politics. We've done some protests together, or uh, and you've done many more than I have, uh, at politicians' offices. What has your experience been like dealing with politicians? Well, you know, I think it's really mixed. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, city councillors and uh, a lot of mayors out there who, who are really hoping and wanting to do some good work out there. And we see that with with, uh, with with some of the communities now. We see New West really making strides and wanting to plant uh, more trees and realizing there's a deficit of trees in their community. So they've done some tremendous work. Um, Port Moody has come out with uh, with a, um, um, a new tree bylaw that, that's going to save a lot of their mature trees. And, you know, they've got their eye on wanting to increase their um, their canopy cover to uh, to 31% over time. So we do see some good things happening, but we also see some communities that um, really don't seem to care all that much about trees and it hasn't really hit the radar screen for them. So, uh, and that really concerns us, you know. Um, I'm always wary of, of, of the folks that kind of say, well, you know, uh, climate change, uh, you know, isn't really a, a municipal issue. It's, it's a federal issue or a provincial issue and we shouldn't worry about that. And, you know, we're just going to get back to basics. And um, that always concerns me or worries me because there's really no more back to basics anymore. We're, we're in a climate emergency here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to do things differently and we need to look at trees and the role they can play and uh, incorporate them. Right. And w- when it comes to protecting the land, this is something that Indigenous peoples have been doing for millennia. So right. what is your relationship with the local Indigenous people like? Right. Well, we, we always try and extend and offer um, um, our, our, um, ourselves to the in, Indigenous people um, to, to do partnerships with. We love to do more partnerships uh, with them. Uh, we had one really amazing day uh, with, um, uh, with, in reconciliation, I guess you'd call it. We uh, have a really good friend of ours, um, Priscilla Omulo. Who uh, do you mentioned on our last podcast? Oh, is that right? Oh, she's, she's, can't remember yeah. the last or second to last, but Priscilla's been popular on this right, podcast. Right, right, right. An indigenous lady from the uh, Sarklip um, uh, First Nations uh, on the island, I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, but she spent a lot of time living in Port Coquitlam, and she was looking for a way to 
to sort of involve the community in some sort of uh, reconciliation day. And uh, so we united uh, with, uh, or we united with her, the Wonders Tree Fellowship, as well as the uh, Port Coquitlam Arts Council. And uh, we had this amazing day, uh, and I believe we called it Weaving Our Story Towards Reconciliation. And, uh, and this is a name that Priscilla came up with. And what we, so what we did is we, we brought in community members, just the public were, were able to, to join us, and an elder uh, from the Indigenous community who came in at, who specialized in doing cedar weaving or cedar bark weaving, which was just amazing stuff. And so everyone was encouraged to weave these small little hearts. And once we had all these little hearts we woven and, and put together, and then we put it onto a larger heart that was made out of all kinds of twigs and uh, grasses and made into a very large heart. And everyone is encouraged to place their hearts on this larger heart. And then that was taken and brought to uh, a park, uh, uh, Blakeburn Park in uh, Blakeburn Lagoons in, uh, in the city of Park Coquitlam. And that is where there's a reflection garden or a memorial for the, for the women that were uh, the murdered indigenous women from the Picton Farm. Um, that uh, we felt needed to be recognized. Um, so this was a really emotional event and it was really heartfelt and, uh, and it was wonderful to participate in that with, uh, with Priscilla. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing experience. I've, I've done some cedar weaving before and it's such an interesting process. Uh, we did it in the longhouse when I was in elementary school, but that's Great. amazing that you were able to have that experience and support uh, those people that were unfortunately uh, lost their lives to to a serial killer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm. And you know, and from my and from from personal my personal perspective too, it was a very is a very touching day. But of course, I was also very interested as a horticulturist uh, to see the uses the uses of the of the uh, red cedar tree as well, and how indigenous people use the tree. And so it was fascinating in that sense too. Right, because the bark yeah. is harvested sustainably, if I remember. That's right. Sustainably. That's right. Yeah. The 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 way that uh, they can harvest the bark, of course, is just by stripping it up the tree. So. By by doing that, you're not actually killing or harming the tree. You know, you're taking some of the bark away from it, but you're not going to, you know, um, circle that tree, which is which would eventually kill the tree. So so yeah, it's it's done sustainably. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought of this question on my own, but you prompted me with a couple ideas before the podcast started. What insights can you gather about the socioeconomic well-being of a community by examining their urban forests? Right. Yeah. And that, I think that's a really important question um, uh, because there's a thing we call tree equity. And uh, if you were to take a drive anywhere, almost any city in North America, really, and let's say you couldn't see the houses and you just were seeing this tree-lined streets, well, what you would find almost in every case is that the more affluent areas of, of the city would be have these beautiful tree-lined streets, these great big beautiful shade trees. Uh, and then when you went to areas that were of low income, or uh, racialized uh, communities, perhaps, uh, what you would find there is very few trees, if in, in many cases, no, no trees at all. And again, this became glaringly obvious uh, uh, in the Lower Mainland as a huge problem when we had that heat dome, uh, when all the people you know, had, had passed away from heat illnesses. And what we're finding is that in areas where that didn't have any tree cover, that the incidences of um, hospital visits due to heat stress or heat ailments was three times higher in areas where there weren't any trees. So this is a direct effect of, of inequity, really, in our, in our communities, in our cities. Um, and, uh, you know, you take a drive to, you know, uh, around beautiful Point Grey or Shaughnessy or um, Kitsilano and some of those areas there, you know, you're going to find these beautiful, beautiful trees. But when you go to, you know, some of the east side neighborhoods, 
Um, you know, there's a lot less trees, very few trees with maybe the exception of Killarney, which is a well-treated area. And, and of course they have a golf course there too, but, um, that becomes a real, uh, it's, it's becoming a real issue now for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of social issues are addressed through education. We talk about this a lot on the podcast, how education is necessary to make sure people are informed so that they know to take action. But why is education so important to your organization specifically? Right. Well, we, we always sort of, uh, well, the way, the way we look at it is that um, if people understand, know um, how important trees are in our community, um, that they're more likely to, to take notice of what's going on in the community. If trees are coming down or if they want to um, grow more trees in their community, they're more likely to get involved politically. Maybe they're going to call up their uh, city and say, hey, I'd like a tree planted in front of my place too. Uh, you know, so if we get people to to speak out, and I think you can do that through education, that's a really, um, really important part uh, of, of what we do. Uh, I like to say that we do three things really with our group, and that is we advocate, educate, and we celebrate trees. So we do all of those things, uh, and we I think they're equally as important. Um, so the advocation work, of course, we do is sometimes we protest, sometimes we, you know, get in touch with, with councils and we try and talk to them and, and hopefully have some influence over some of their decisions, um, which is, which would be great. Um, and then of course, education, we've, uh, we do tree walks. Um, one of my, one of my favorites is, um, the Earth Day tree walk that we do in Port Moody at Rocky Point Park. And that one's great because we go through the, the native forest and we talk about all the indigenous plants and some of their uses and how important they are, um, to, to our communities. Uh, and of course we did a foraging workshop with, uh, some high school students in Port Moody as well. And that was really terrific as well, because a lot of these kids really hadn't gotten out into forest before. And the idea that they didn't know much about the ecosystems that existed around them was, um, a little shocking, but honestly, in, in, I guess we shouldn't be surprised, you know? Um, and so we feel that, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, where your heart leads, you know, your mind and your body follows. So if we can get people to really fall in love with nature and forests and green spaces, you know, we think that, you know, they're going to fight for those. Right. And I think a lot of people, when they hear about wanting to protect trees, they might think of the term tree hugger. They might think of, you know, the 1960s hippies, for instance. Right. So there's not a lot of emphasis on kids in, in modern times. That's true. What are you noticing about the reaction that you're receiving from these kids? Like, have they been interested in protecting forests or do they have this passion that uh, that you and your group have well you know we, we, we certainly find that they do if they're given the opportunity so one of the things that we did is we had uh, uh, our nature art contest so we we took all kinds of uh, lots of little kids in the tri-cities area and we encouraged them to find a what we call a sit spot and that could be near a creek or somewhere in the forest a quiet place that where they can you know draw and do some artwork but really what, what they're sort of doing as well is they're, they're, they're experiencing forest bathing. So, you know, they're actually in amongst the, the trees. So we know that there's health benefits there. And we think that we, we saw that the kids were very encouraged about, about being able to do that. That was an exciting thing for them to do. So, uh, so yeah, we think, it, we think it works for sure. Right. And I mean, based off of this conversation, it sounds like your organization is doing a ton of great work. And I'm curious to know, what your hope is for the future of Wonders Tree Fellowship. We just hope to keep uh, uh, spreading the word and getting people interested and excited about trees. Um, the more people we can get uh, to become um, socially active, politically active, uh, understanding how important trees are in our community, then that's really ultimately, that's the way we're going to protect them. 
Um, you know, so, so yeah, we just want to keep doing the same sort of work and, and, uh, you know, broadening our horizons a little bit. One of the questions I like to ask on all of the podcasts is what our audience can do in help. So in that case, what can our audience do to support Wonders Tree Fellowship? And also what can they do to help protect trees in their own neighborhoods? Right. Well, you know, we encourage anyone to to come out and, and join us. We have all kinds of events. You know, we have a Facebook page that you can uh, look us up on and, and see what's happening. We, we have an event actually um, tomorrow, uh, actually tomorrow. So I, because I believe this is airing on Monday. So, yep. so, right. So Tuesday on November 7th, we have our Tri-Cities Urban Forest Forum. And that's at Douglas College in, uh, in Coquitlam. Um, doors open at six o'clock and speakers are from seven to nine. And this is going to be a really great event because we have speakers uh, from across the lower mainland, from different municipalities who are really well versed in, in, in ur- urban forest uh, knowledge. And we also have Brian Minter, of course, Brian Minter, the, the very, our sort of locally famous gardener who is going to be there talking about the importance of shade trees and different types of shade trees that we can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that are um, um, suitable for climate change issues that, are, that we have to deal with. So we have events like that coming up. Um, we also do celebrations as well, right? We celebration is one of the things that we love to do. Um, we have uh, we take part in the Rotary Club May Day Parade. It's in Port Coquitlam, where that gives us an opportunity to dress up in costumes and have fun and sort of celebrate. You know, um, it, it, it can be challenging being an environmentalist sometimes. So we like to celebrate when we can and, and uh, celebrate trees when we can. Um, and we also have an event coming up um, towards the end of November, November 25th, and it's uh, traditionally very close to Lost Species Day. Now, that sounds a little depressing, and it sounds like it's uh, a, a bit of a negative, but, you know, we were originally going to use that as a day of protest at, uh, at the um, political offices, um, but we've but we've just recently, of course, just yesterday, there was an announcement about the BC government and, and coordinating with the federal government to, to put a whole lot of money, as well as Indigenous leadership as well in, in British Columbia, to, to try and save and put aside 30% of, uh, of the land of our, our most valuable and uh, fragile ecosystems and actually protect those areas. So this is a small victory, I would say, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a large victory. So, so what we were, I was just talking to Nancy today and we were thinking, you know, maybe we need to make this more of a celebration. So, so that's what we're going to do on the 25th. And so if you'd like to come out and join us at Lions Park, uh, I'm not quite sure what the time is going to be yet, but you know, we're going to have a carnival band there. Um, we're going to have, um, um, all kinds of great stuff happening, booths from various stream keepers groups and environmental groups will be there. So it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a celebration, I think, you know, and, uh, Mm. And uh, we may even invite some local politicians to, to tell us what's happening with that, you know. And uh, so we're all looking forward to that as well. Amazing. Well, it's important to celebrate those wins when you can because they don't always come around all That's that right. Often. That's and really true. I'm really glad that we were able to have you on the podcast before these events happen so our audience knows about them. And I don't know how many people are listening from Port Coquitlam. Our analytics don't show right. you know, specificity right. like that. But hopefully we have some people that will come out and join you. And, and as we're getting towards the end of the conversation. Right. I'm curious to know if there's anything that we haven't touched on yet that you're wanting to bring up. Well, you know, um, interestingly enough, it, 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 we, we didn't touch much on uh, 
uh, we a little bit maybe, but tree percentage or tree canopy mm-hmm. uh, percentage. And that's uh, that's a really important thing because just to talk about that a little bit would, would be nice. That would be great. Because it's a great way to measure the livability and the health of a community. And uh, so what we see is this, this the tree canopy coverage is a way of, of, of measuring, of course, what it sounds like. Um, uh, tree canopy um, um, and the area that, they, that that covers. So if you were to take like a drone or whatever and go straight up in the air and you look down, straight down on the, on the community, uh, the areas that would be blocked out or covered by, by tree canopy will give you your percentage that you have in a city. And this is the radius of the tree branches, is that? Uh, that that's right. Yeah, the tree branches and you know, the, some of the shrub material as well would, 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 uh, would affect that as well. Mm-hmm. And so what we're seeing is, you know, most communities have an average of somewhere, they all differ, um, but, you know, s- somewhere around the average of 20 to 23%. In some cases, Vancouver is at 23% canopy coverage. Um, uh, some areas are a little higher than that. But but it, it's generally agreed that we'd like to see most of those communities come up to around 30% That's or thir- sort of that 31%. Sweet spot. That's kind of the sweet spot. I know Metro Vancouver is hoping to, to move that to 40%, which is very mm-hmm. ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be great to see if communities can all come along and, and do that. But, um, but so that's a really good indicator of, of, of how we're doing. And, you know, shockingly, and I hate to, to, to bring out, to point out one particular city, but, you know, shockingly, and I was surprised to see this too, that Richmond has 12% canopy coverage, mm-hmm. which is just not, you know, really isn't good enough. And is that something that a city like Richmond is able to easily tackle? Um, because I know that that city in particular is built on silt. Is that an environment where you can have trees or do you just have to be careful about certain types of trees are better than others? Well, you know, to be fair to Richmond, you know, the one thing that uh, that they have that most other communities don't have is they still have some farmland left there. Right. And of course, that's not generally a tree area. That, that's uh, that's agricultural land. Whereas other communities like Surrey or, or, or Port Moody still have actually... Uh, a fair amount of uh, natural forest in within their city limits. So that can skew numbers a little bit for sure. So sometimes, you know, you look at the city of Surrey, uh, for example, and uh, I think they were once at uh, 10 years ago, they were at 33% uh, canopy coverage. And in 10 years time, now they're down to about 27% canopy coverage. So they've actually lost some. And of course, being a large area like Surrey, you know, they have a, a lot of native forest still there, mm-hmm. but slowly they're losing that. And so we need to be concerned about that. Right. And that's because of a development boom that's happening? Exactly. Yeah. Just development boom. I mean, they have very strong uh, tree protection laws in Surrey, but it's the enforceability of those laws and uh, also uh, making sure that development doesn't always trump those um, regulations as well. Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a really important piece. Is there anything else that... uh... Well, you know, getting back to the political side of things again a little mm-hmm. bit, in, you know, one of the things that the BC government has done uh, recently, as you probably know, is they've had a, uh, and this is kind of fun, it's kind of interesting, but it's a naughty and nice list. So they've got the naughty and nice list of communities, uh, municipalities that maybe haven't built or developed enough housing in the last little while, or that are reluctant to develop areas. So they've made this list. And, you know, what I would really like to see is them have a list for tree canopy coverage a naughty and nice list so that we can highlight some of the people who are doing communities that are doing great jobs with planting trees and also highlight some of the some of the folks that aren't doing a good enough job and because you know when you think about it and we talked a little bit about um, all the health services that trees provide us with and how important they are uh, to us you know that tree canopy coverage and the amount of trees we have in our community really becomes a health issue and of course health we know is under the jurisdiction of the provincial government so when we look at it that way, we think that that would be a good thing to do, implement, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it would be great to have things 
laid out a little bit more simply too, because there's always political spin, right? Right. Um, when you think about affordable housing, for instance, you'll see some cities say we've had X number of units created. Right. And in my mind, I'm always thinking, but what percentage is that? Right. Because that's what actually matters. The number yeah. is sort of irrelevant because that's going to vary drastically from city to city. So, so if you had a city saying, well, we've planted 10,000 trees. Is that good or not? I don't know. But if you right. have a naughty and nice list, that would be a really easy way to say, okay, that is actually a good job that that city's doing. That city has some work to do. Yeah, I, w- I would I would like to see that. And there's one other thing that I'll just touch on again that we talked, um, because there's so many health benefits from trees, but, but you know, we talked a little bit about forest bathing. We talked about the uh, mental health um, aspects of, of being in a forest, but there's also the physical um, wellness that, that forests and, and trees create for us. And even without even knowing, as we walk through the forest, uh, we're surrounded by all these wonderful trees and they give off these volatile compounds. Um, these are what uh, they, they call... Um, um, phytoncides. And phytoncides are actually the way the tree, uh, it's the defense system for the tree. So all these aerosols and these um, organic uh, compounds are, are sort of in the air. And of course, they have uh, antimicrobial qualities, antibacterial qualities. Uh, so that helps the tree's defense system. But when we breathe those in, they actually help us as well. So what they do uh, for us is they actually stimulate the growth of a certain type of white blood cell. Uh, they call NKs, which which stands for natural killers. So once they're in our system, um, these white blood cells, of course, will attack tumors, will attack uh, viral infections. Uh, so when we walk around in the forest, we're actually getting an immune system boost. And so it, it does have physical um, implications for us as well if we spend time in the forest. So And they're long-lasting. So um, a study was done in Japan where uh, people stayed out in the forest for three straight days, almost you know like we do a camping trip. Mm-hmm. And they came back and realized that the level of these white blood cells was higher for up to 30 days afterwards. So, so it just goes to show you that, that we need these, these, these exposures to nature as, as much and as often as we can. And we need them close to where we live. That's really important for us. Yeah, that's incredible. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, that's really amazing research. And I, I have a, another question for you, which is around native species and non-native species right. of plants. So, right. Is it beneficial to plant non-native trees in a city environment, uh, whether it's in a forested section or whether it's in just in someone's backyard? Is there benefit to that or should we always be focusing on trying to have native species? That's a really great question, actually. It's a, it's a question I like to talk about. Um, I'm somewhere in the middle on that one when it comes to urban trees because we have two things happening here. We we, we know that uh, a lot of the, the uh, uh, insects, the birds, uh, a lot of the species that we have in this area have a symbiotic relationship with, with native plants and native trees. So we want to see a lot of those trees planted and we want to see a lot of native plants uh, put into people's gardens because, you know, for pollinating insects like small bees, for example, you know, they, uh, they may be very selective and they may only pollinate and they may only survive on one or two types of flowers. Um, a very specific type of flower. So, so we need to provide those species with as much uh, native flora as we can. But of course, in a city environment, it's not always easy to plant trees that are native trees for street trees, for example. You know, if we were to plant a Douglas fir tree as a street tree, um, beautiful big shade tree, and, and you do see them some in some places, but of course, they're very prone to uh, damage um, I mean, windstorms, uh, snow damage. So large branches can fall and, and, and you know, damage uh, property or cars or people for that matter. So we have to be very selective where we put these trees. But in an open park area or someone has a very large yard, 
I would certainly encourage them to plant some native species and some native trees um, because they're very important um, for, for all kinds of other creatures as well. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up? You know, I think that's I think that's pretty good. I don't think I can think of anything else. I've talked your ear off enough, probably. So. It, it's been great. I love the conversation. I feel like I've learned so much more about trees than I knew before, and I, I imagine that's going to be the same for our audience. So, well, thank really you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate coming in to talk to you about trees. Absolutely. And this has been a social justice podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Sperling. Today, I've been joined by James Bobick, and we've been talking about Wonders Tree Fellowship, which helps to protect trees in the Tri-Cities area and beyond. You've been listening to a social justice podcast hosted by Nicholas Sperling, brought to you by The Flag Shop, and inspired by a social justice coloring book.